If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to track along in the book of Acts. If you uh, want to grab your Bible and turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to grab one. Um, you can borrow it if you need to borrow it. And if you need a Bible that you can take with you because you don't have one that you can read and easily understand, it is our gift. Feel free to take that with you. Uh, also, if you're a user of the Bible app, um, you can find our live event right now. Track along with that as well. Uh, there's scriptures and sermon notes, all that kind of stuff uh, is in there. So uh, we're going to pick up in verse 15 as we keep walking through the book of Acts here. Um, Acts 1, verse 15. In those days... Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, um, and said, and by the way, can we just pause for just a second? Uh, most of the time when the Bible says brothers like that, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a broad term. We know that there were women, look back in verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So it's kind of a broad term. So you might say brothers and sisters, that would not be inappropriate there. So in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and the sisters. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide uh, to those who uh, arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And then Luke kind of puts a parenthesis here telling what happened. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Isn't that awesome? Put that in a, in a little picture frame, put it on a refrigerator. You know, it'd be a really great verse to have just laying around your head. Don't do that. Um, verse 19, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem to that, uh, so that the field was called in their own language, Akaldamo, that is the field of blood. That's the end of the parentheses. So uh, uh, Judas, Peter is talking about him and he says this in verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And then in another place, it says, let another take his office. Verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, and then this other guy, Matthias. Verse 24. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you've chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias. He was numbered with the 11 apostles. Um, it's a strange little uh, text in some ways. This is one of the reasons we preach through books of the Bible because I got to be honest, uh, I'm not teeing this one up if it doesn't just show up, all right? So this, it's good for us, though. And today I want to talk for a few minutes about leadership, um, specifically uh, leadership in the church, but these things that I think God's going to say to us can um, apply broadly. Uh, and I say that because... Um, there, there's a couple of things that I've been praying. One is, uh, is that uh, uh, when we hear things about leaders, and do, anybody hearing anything about leaders these days, maybe in the news or anything like that? Just okay. oh, 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 you are. When we hear things about leaders, we would have a framework by which to think about leadership. Uh, that'd be number one. N number two, I, I think uh, the Lord may be calling some of you to leadership, either at job or church or at home or at some other place. And so, uh, you know, you would have some sense in which you could go, okay, how then does this play out in my life? So uh, let's take just a moment here and set these things before the Lord together in prayer, and then we'll jump in, okay? Uh, Father, for these next few moments together, 
uh, open up your word. Help us to hear what we need to hear. Um, God, we don't want to judge by earthly standards. Um, we don't want to judge by um, propaganda or media. Um, we, we don't want to judge by sound bites. We want to judge by the true word of God that you've given to us. So help us. Um, open our hearts up to hear the things that you have for us. Implant those in us and may they bear fruit and transform us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And by said, amen, amen. Okay, so um, as I said, kind of a strange little passage. Uh, as I was thinking about it this week, um, the, the big thing, I think, the big key, if you will, that I take away from this, because it, it's a little confusing. I, they've got 11 apostles. Why do they need a 12th? I mean, you got the 12 tribes of, uh, of, of Israel. Do you need 12 apostles? Maybe there's that. Um, you've also got maybe some other, there may be other organizational reasons or whatever. Um, I think the big thing for me, that one of the big takeaways in this particular passage um, is this, that leadership is important. And when I say that, um, what I'm trying to say is, is that the things that God has given leaders to do at home, at work, in the church, in politics, and everywhere else, the things that God has given um, leaders to do, uh, those things need to have the sense of gravity about them. We cannot treat those things lightly. They're, they're, they're not uh, uh, some throwaway things or responsibility uh, that, that we're just kind of, kind of set to the side or sort of half-heartedly fulfill. Leadership is important. Some of you serve as coaches on teams, uh, be it you know the little bitties or, or high school teams, or some of you serve as management in your position. Some of you serve as uh, uh, um, in leadership roles in the church and in your family, and some of you have influence in other realms, leadership is important. That, that's, that's for me, is the major takeaway. Leadership is important. Uh, I, pull, I pull that together um, and, and from uh, this, it, that, that there cannot, that leadership cannot and should not, if you will, be shouldered by a single person. The president has a cabinet. Um, uh, the, the local church has elders and deacons. I mean, there are expressions of this, this kind of shared leadership idea all throughout, in every kind of sphere, um, it cannot and should not be shouldered by a single person. Um, we, we back up to verse uh, 15. Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters there. The company of the persons was how many? 120. So that's, that, there are 120 people counting on uh, uh, someone or someones, and, and or there's 120 people at stake in what happens next. Anybody want to shoulder that? Anybody want to walk around with that? It's important, folks. 120 people are kind of relying on, depending on um, what the decisions, uh, the decisions that are made and what happens next. That is not a light thing. That is, there is too much at stake, way too much at stake. And so we say leadership is important. The inevitable question, I've asked this question, I, I bet, 50 times of this text. As I read through the Bible and this kind of thing, I just, this, this passage, I, here's the question I ask. See if you ask this question too. All right, so, so we're buying in, right? Leadership is important. If leadership is so important and Jesus knows everything, why did he pick Judas? Anybody with me on that? Why did he do this? Here's the answer. I have absolutely no idea. I don't know. Here's what the Bible says, though. The Bible's pretty clear, and it says these two things. Verse 16, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Let's start there. If, if leadership is so important, why pick Judas? And the first answer that the scripture gives is the scriptures were fulfilled. That's what it says. Now, that's fairly dissatisfying to some of us who want to get behind the why question. 
We don't get more than that, though. The scriptures were fulfilled. And then you <clears throat> keep reading, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth uh, of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us, was allotted his share in this ministry. And then uh, uh, you skip down here where uh, verse 20, may his camp become desolate. Let there be no one to dwell in it. Let another take his office. And then he says in verse 25, Judas turned aside to go to his own place. We hear this. The scriptures are fulfilled and Judas is guilty. That's the second thing that we know. Why Judas? Well, I'm not sure, but here's what we do know. The scriptures were fulfilled and Judas is guilty. I'm pointing this out simply because as important as leadership is and as many stories as we have in our culture today from pastors to other um, uh, folks, elected people, I mean, all sorts of areas in which uh, um, cultural uh, uh, influencers, all sorts of people um, who are now either in the process of falling or fallen. How then do we respond how does a person who knows and follows Jesus, how do we respond when leaders fail? And I think those two things are certainly true. Number one, we need to remember what the scripture tells us and what does the scripture tell us? We live in a broken world. How many, Romans 3.23, some of us who follow have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? No, what's it say? All of us, all of us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We live in a broken world, and that brokenness is resident within us, and it then is also resident within the systems that we as humans create. Like, there will be times when leaders fall, and we just need to have that in our brains that, hey, this, this is going to be true at times. The second part of that, though, is that the scriptures don't let us lay blame in other places. Who's guilty when the leader falls? The leader is. We don't get to blame other people. We don't get to shame other people. We don't get to deflect. We don't get to redefine. We don't get to pass off. We don't get to say, oh, well, if, if uh, uh, his wife or her husband were a better person or if their kids weren't so stressful or if they'd had more time off, well, no, 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 no. There's 10,000 excuses that could be made and the Bible doesn't let us make a single one of them. The scriptures are clear that we live in a broken world. And the scriptures are clear that the sinner is the one who is guilty and no shame and no blame gets to be shared with other people. Guilty. Leadership is so important that God puts the personal and don't we as a culture need more and a grander and a deeper sense of personal responsibility. The scripture puts that personal responsibility upon the person who sins. So if a leader falls... We say we live in a broken world. There's compassion for that. But we also don't shift blame to somebody else. If it's so important, why pick Judas? Well, I don't know. There may be consequences in families. There may be consequences and ramifications in jobs. There may be legal consequences. There may be all those kinds of things. What we can say is, hey, the Bible tells us about these things. And the person who is responsible is guilty. Not, no, we don't get to disperse blame or make excuses or redefine things or minimize things or pay hush money or anything else, the person who sins is guilty. So what kind of leader then do we go looking for? And this is really where I think uh, it's better to uh, focus here. What kind of, if leadership is important, what kind of leader do we go looking for? Uh, skip down, if you will, to verse uh, 21. 
Um, Peter speaks up. He says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went out and among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up um, from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. What kind of leader do you look for? Number one, a leader who walks with Jesus. Let that be true uh, of anybody in here who is in any sort of leadership position, management, um, church stuff, home, whatever. May you be a person who walks with Jesus. And when we say that, what are we talking about? We're talking about a person who lives in and experiences Jesus um, on a regular basis, who looks around and he sees Jesus everywhere. Um, I, I found it interesting here that when the apostles were... Um, beginning this process of understanding what it meant to live with Jesus in a post-resurrection setting. Jesus has come back from the dead. He's now ascended to heaven. He's saying, wait on the Holy Spirit. And they're kind of wait, waiting now. When, when all of this is going down, you know what they begin to do? They begin to see Jesus everywhere in the scriptures. So he quotes, uh, Peter does, back in verse 20, um, it's written where in the book of the Psalms is what it says. May his camp become desolate. And then he quotes another psalm, let another take his office. They see Jesus everywhere. Why do they see Jesus in the psalms? Why do they see Jesus in the Old Testament? Why do they, because all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. All of the New Testament points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. A couple of verses here just to help with this. This is John chapter 5, verse 39, the words of Jesus himself. He's speaking and he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. A person who walks with Jesus will see him at work and in the Bible and all sorts of places because they're, they're experiencing him. Here's another one in Luke 24. We re referenced this a couple of weeks ago. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them, this is the guys who were on the Emmaus Road, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He was looking backward at the Old Testament and saying, hey, you, you think you got Moses? No, man, he's talking about me. Hey, you think you got this, uh, you think you got Isaiah figured out? No, 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 he's talking about me. You think the song? No, they're talking about me. And indeed, these guys, as they walk with him, these, these apostles, they started seeing Jesus everywhere and specifically everywhere in the scriptures. That's a good place to start. Now, it's important to say these guys were not, not highly educated folks. Like what kind of leader are we looking for? A, a leader who walks with Jesus. That doesn't mean educated necessarily about him, but more experiencing him, experiencing him. And when people experience him, the normal outcome of this is humility. Um, but let's just, I'm not down on education. We'll talk about this in just a second, but I just want to point out like these were just normal folks, normal folks who experienced Jesus, who lived with him. Well, what, what, what does that look like? Just example from my own life. Ready? Um, my wife, she's amazing. I mean, like awesome. She works and she manages our house. She's a great mom, incredible wife. I mean, all of these things, right? So the other day, I mean, she's Wonder Woman. She wrote a book. I mean, like this, all this stuff, right? Wonder Woman here. And on occasion, though, Wonder Woman needs help from Superman. Am I right? Right? So, she called, no, 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 no. She, she, she said, hey, listen, uh, dinner's got to get started and whatever. And I, we got to finish folding this laundry real quick. Can you help me? So I said, being the model of 
servant husband that I am? I said, of course I will. So we start doing stuff, that kind of thing. She said, oh, by the way, can you do me a favor? I said, what, babe? She said, like, if you're out of adult-sized hangers, because we got four kids, on occasion we run out of adult-sized hangers. If you're out of adult-sized hangers, please don't put, I get confused when I hang stuff. Husbands, who's with me in here on hanging laundry? You're just not sure what fits where. Um, I get confused sometimes. And, and I have been known before to put hers or somebody else's clothes on a kid-sized hanger. Oh, no, it's right. I mean, this is... And I recognize that she's just helping me. She's, she's educating me about this. So she says, hey, babe, can you just in the future, like if you run out of adult size hangers, just like we, we got to do something else. We can't just put them on a kid size hanger because stuff falls off and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I get it. I get it because Superman understands this, right? Wonder Woman, she's giving it to me and Superman is understanding this. And then, and then she knows that I'm not getting this. Like, shing, shing, like, you know. So she grabs my favorite sweatshirt, making sure that I understand, and she puts it on this little pink hanger that's about that big, and she hands it to me, and I'm like, (laughs) and she gives me the Wonder Woman look like, now you get it, huh? And all of a sudden, kryptonite, I'm just not Superman any longer. I'm like, previously, I had thought that I understood but now that my favorite sweatshirt was all cattywampus and hanging on a little pink hanger, I experienced it, right? And the outcome of this was humility. And that's how it works with leadership. That's how it works. You've got this experience with the one who created the universe and gave his life for us. The outcome of that is not pride or chest thumping or anything. The outcome of that is humility. And don't we need humility in leadership these days? This is what it looks like for a person who walks with Jesus. Um, As I said, not just educated about him, but a person who experiences him. Can we flip over one page? Probably one page for you. It's Acts chapter 4. Um, Peter and John, two of the guys who are in the upper room, uh, have found themselves in some trouble. And in Acts chapter 4, they're talking. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. But uh, they're talking to the rulers uh, uh, kind of of the city. And then in verse 13, Acts 4 verse 13. Now when they, that's, that's the rulers, when the, when the rulers, the governing authorities, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were what? uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Leaders of the movement were known not for the degrees that they had, but that they had been with Jesus. Is education important? Yes. Five chapters later from that reference right there, God takes one of the most educated people that he could have taken, snags him off the road to Damascus. A guy named Saul gives him a new name, Paul. And he becomes a brilliant articulator, uh, a, a brilliant preacher, and a brilliant herald, of, uh, and a brilliant strategist in terms of um, early church leadership. Writes 13 books in the New, of the New Testament. Is education important? Yes. But we're, if we're looking for a kind of leader, we're not looking for degrees. We're looking for a, people, a kind of people who experience Jesus. That's what we're looking for. Secondly, a kind of leader who has godly character. 
So back in, in chapter one, when they prayed, verse 24, they prayed and they said, you, Lord, you know the hearts of all. You know the hearts of all. What, what are they after there? The heart is the very core of who you are. It's talking about character. It's called, talking about the infrastructure, if you will, of the soul. And so um, what kind of leader are you looking for? You're looking for a, a godly leader, one who has character deep down inside because the pressures of leadership will crush people. The weight of the calling will crush people um, if there's not infrastructure inside, if you will, to hold them up. What, what does that look like? Um, Paul, over in the book of 1 Timothy, says this. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read it, and I want you to listen to the description uh, that he lays out uh, for, for specifically for church leaders, chapter 3 uh, of 1 Timothy. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder or pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, a one-woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household uh, well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For one doesn't know how to manage his own household. How will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit. There's that humility thing and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Paul's describing the character of, of, of elders inside of a church. And he's saying, this is what they're supposed to be like above reproach, self-controlled, respectable, and so forth. And then he goes on to deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Uh, let deacons also uh, be a one-woman man, managing children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What, what's he describing there? He's not saying, hey, they got to be good at this or they got to be good at that. They got to be da da da. He's not giving a list of qualifications as if uh, they're looking for a job description. He's put together a character description above reproach, not addicted, uh, not having this kind of addictive personality because um, that, that is the opposite of wisdom and humility. Uh, um, must be well thought of uh, by outsiders because their character, if you will, speaks for themselves and on and on and on. Why focus on character? Because there will come a time when education and experience will fail you. Um, I, I distinctly remember uh, in one of the books I read, um, uh, if, I'm, if I remember right, I think this was it. I think it was uh, George W. Bush's memoir. Um, and he talked about when 9-11 happened, how people kept saying, we don't know what to do. We've never seen anything. I mean, nobody's ever done this before, right? There was nobody educated and there was nobody who had experience in responding to the crisis that was unfolding. Nobody had ever used a plane as a missile. How many of you during Harvey, when you were around here, um, heard anybody around here say this, we've never seen anything like this before and we're not sure what to do. It was beyond our education and beyond our experience. Folks, I have a theology degree, okay? Not hurricane, like theology, all right? So, I mean, I, we don't know what to do sometimes. So, I, like, education and experience will at some point fail you. I don't know what to do. Character will help lead you in those moments. 
It will help sustain you in those moments. There will be times when uh, gifts and talents, however broad they may be, however, uh, however deep they may run in you, there will be times when gifts and talents will fail you. I just can't do this, or I don't have gas in the tank anymore. There will be times when it runs out, and it will be character that sustains you in that moment, character that gives you the strength to take another step, character that allows you to keep serving, character that allows you to move in the ways that God wants you to be. There will be times when words and advice will fail you. Everybody, anybody? Has anybody ever sat in a moment where you, you just don't know what to say? What speaks in that moment or chooses not to speak? Character does. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks or maybe chooses not to speak. What are you going to rely on? A Hallmark card? No, no, no. You're going you're gonna to rely on character in that moment. And furthermore, character is what will be passed along long after the rest is forgotten. Long after speech, long after education, long after advice, long after gifts and talents. It all, it all will go away and character will still um, remain. It will be the thing that gets passed along. Okay, last thing. He walks with Jesus and has godly character. You're looking for a leader also who, who has a track record track record of saying yes consistently. Just says yes. You look at the life of this person and you see that they were saying yes. I, I, I picked this up here that in, in verse um, 23, you got Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice Matthias. Um, historical sources put Matthias as one of the 70 that was sent out in Luke chapter 10. They also have him as going as a missionary um, to Ethiopia where he was ultimately martyred. Um, so, I mean, you've got this track record of, of people saying yes, and I'm sure um, that Bersabbas or Justice or uh, um, Joseph, he also said yes. He had this track record of saying yes. You just want um, people, leaders, who just say yes, who have this sense of yes about them. Both of these guys, they were willing to serve even though it was going to cost them everything. They knew, they had seen, they had heard the teaching. They had been with Jesus. They knew the things that he was saying like, hey, if you want to um, keep your life, what do you have to do? You got to lose it. Hey, what does it profit, the world, uh, profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? They knew what they were getting into and still they were willing to say yes. Why? Because they knew that following Jesus was way better than not following. That stepping into and with him in leadership was way better than walking by themselves um, without him. And so uh, they had a track record of saying yes. And so I, they knew that living as Christ and if it cost them their life, dying would be what? Gain. You, you want, we, we want leaders who have a track record of saying yes. Yes, it'll cost them. Maybe it'll cost them their life. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll cost them uh, uh, other relationships. Maybe it'll uh, cost them convenience. Maybe it'll cost them a job. I'm not sure what, it'll, but we want people who have a track record of saying yes and saying yes to the right things. Um, just as an aside here, uh, verse um, 26, they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias. He was numbered with the 11 apostles. What is he talking about? Uh, it's, the old, it's the Old Testament version of a coin flip. Like, so why, why would they do it this way? Um, you know, why don't we do that this? Uh, just quickly, 
this aside about lots. It was a perfectly acceptable way for decision-making in the Old Testament. Uh, the Proverbs talks about this, uh, that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. They would, what they would do, they would just sit before the Lord and go, okay, God, we're not sure which way this goes. Here we go, and just see what happens. Sometimes leadership is that hard, isn't it? Anybody ever encountered that? And you wish you could just flip a coin? I'm not recommending that you actually flip a coin. However, I am saying sometimes it feels that hard. I will also say that uh, this is the only instance of it in the New Testament, and you will note that it is before the Holy Spirit comes. I think he's a way better guide uh, than a coin flip. Can we go on that? Okay, good with that. So I'm not recommending this as a decision-making process for you. Hey, should we buy that company or should we not? Uh, Okay, heads we do. don't, Don't be like that. Don't do that. Um, I, I just simply say this was acceptable then, and now that the Holy Spirit has come, I, I think it's way better to trust him. Uh, I do get the impulse, though. Leading is sometimes very hard, and you're not sure what to do. So where does this come down for you and for me? And this is where I, I want to spend just a second. So, so we've done all of this stuff about what kind of leader. What kind of significance does this have for us, though? What, what does it matter? I, first of all, we have to remember this, that God uses people. He uses people. What kind of people? All kinds of people. You got uh, young and old, you got men and women, you got all this, all this in that upper room, right? God uses people. And you think to yourself, I'm not sure that God's going to use me. My question back to you would be something like this. Why not? If you are living in sin right now, that may be the only answer. But, but if you're saying, God, I, I, I want to be used by you, I am, I'm willing to say yes to you and do the things you do, like, God, I, I'm willing, but I just don't know if you can. I, maybe you would say, I've got too much baggage behind me here. I'm hauling a U-Haul full of bad decisions. You mean like Peter, when he denied Jesus three times, like that kind of bad decisions? Because he ended up using Peter. God uses people, and he uses people like Peter. Well, no, no, no. I mean, it's not decision-making. It's that when I get in a situation, I can be pretty forceful, maybe even have a little bit of a temper or something. I can't always control myself. Oh, you lack self-control like James and John who one time looked at Jesus and said, hey, that city over there, you want us to call down fire on that? I mean, that's a good way to solve a problem, isn't it? Like, hey, it's done. And not that you don't need to work on your temper, not that you don't need to work on self-control. All of those things are absolutely true. I'm simply saying that God uses those kinds of people. Well, I know, but I I have a lot of doubt about what, you mean like Thomas? Uh, I'm not going to believe that he's actually alive until I put my fingers in the holes where they pierced him. According to uh, verse 13 in chapter one, Thomas is right there in the mix. Or look, I'm just a nobody from nowhere. You mean like Matthias? This is the only time Matthias gets press here. This is it. I'm a nobody from nowhere. Oh, like Matthias. God uses people. He uses people. So um, and the people that God uses are those who say yes. And that's kind of the big thing here. What does that look like then? First of all, for you and for me, the significance for us is just to say yes. Here I am, God, I'm saying yes. The image I think is so powerful for me when I was growing up, my dad and I, you know, opened one of those little high school checking accounts back then at the little savings and loan back when we had those. And, um, uh, you know, going to, okay, so son, you never sign your name at the bottom of the check without filling all the rest of it out first. That's important. 
That's really important. Why, Dad? Well, because you don't want to give somebody a, a, a blank check. They'll write in whatever they want to. Okay, that makes good sense. In this sense, we do want to sign our name at the bottom and then hand it over to God and say, God, here it is. Here's my life. Blank check. However you want to do it, my answer is yes. I want to be a person who says yes. Secondly, you and I would be a person, uh, be, we would be people who experience Jesus, that we live with him every day in every place where we go. We say yes to him, we experience him, and we work to cultivate an awareness um, to his presence wherever we step, wherever we go, everywhere, every day, in every place. And lastly, we develop character. God uses people and he wants people to say yes. He wants people who walk with Jesus and he wants people who develop character. I say that because I know some of you are in the middle of trials right now and you think to yourself, God must hate me right now. He doesn't hate you. He's helping you become who he wants you to be. Golly, God must be so mad at me right now. No, no, no. He's making you into someone is what he's doing. He doesn't hate you. He's using those kinds of things to develop you. You know where it all starts, though? It all starts with yes. It all starts with yes. And we're going to close in just this second, but before we do, I just want to ask you this question. Has God put something on your table that you're still looking at with that kind of raised eyebrow like, oh, I don't know, God. Maybe. Or yes with a question mark. Or has God put something on God, I know you want me to forgive that person. God, I know you want me to step out in faith with this. I know that you want me to walk this way. I know you want me to restore this. I know you want me to be a part of this other thing. I know you want me to lead here. I know you want me to follow here. Has God put something on your personal that you need to say yes to? Because that's where it starts, is with saying yes. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll have a moment to respond, okay? Father, thank you so much. Jesus, thank you that you were the one who said yes first, even in the garden. If there's any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. Yours be done. God, I pray that we would be marked as a people, as individuals, yes, but as a people, we would be marked by saying yes to you. That is where it all starts for every one of us. God, help us to say yes. For anybody here uh, that you've, you've set something before them and they're trying to wrap their mind around saying yes to that. Foster care, forgiving someone else, um, taking, taking a, a risk at work or in some other thing, in some other way. God, every place where you've asked us to say yes, I pray that our hearts would respond with yes, yes. really prompted by the spirit right now if you're here this morning um, and you don't know Jesus he's, he's just a historical figure to you and you're not living in a personal relationship with him you've never been forgiven of your sins and given new life I want to invite you to say yes to him today he's already spoken his yes over you you have the opportunity to say yes to him. Give your life to him. You will find forgiveness for your sins. You will experience new life. I'd love to talk to you more about that. You can make your way to the back in just a second. 
So church family, let's stand and let's sing together. And let's say yes. If we can pray with you about anything, please feel free to come back that way. Let's stand and sing. Say yes.